Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our earnestly contending sermon series, which walks through the book of Jude. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Of course, our series that we just started um, last week, just called Earnestly Contend, and are really just designed to... Uh, to help us understand the book of Jude and discovering what he wrote, um, as well as why he wrote it. And of course, um, we learned last week Jude was the, uh, the half-brother of Jesus. And of course, he would be writing to uh, many of the same folks that James and Peter would have written to in the early church. And if you were to go and do some research, of course, we would find that Jude actually didn't trust Christ until after the resurrection. And I I know I talk about it whenever I bring that up, but that's interesting to me um, because here you have the brothers of Jesus that literally walked with him and and, uh, were, I mean, saw the miracles he performed, knew everything going on. You have everything that took place with the brothers of Christ right there, and yet they they didn't believe. They didn't believe until after. And so it's just amazing to me when you have that and you look. But, uh, of course, James is the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. That would be probably the very first book that was written. And when you look at the the book that was written there, it would be written after Acts chapter number 8. And people are scattered abroad. That's when the book of James would be written, about three years probably after that. And so he writes to many of those early believers. You find uh, Peter writing to those early believers. And then Jude writing to these early believers. And of course, what we looked at last week, we found that he really, he really wanted to write to his readers about salvation. Right, that's what he said. I wanted to, I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Hey, I was gonna write to you about joy and about the salvation we have. But instead, the Holy Spirit directed him to write about this idea of earnestly contending for the faith. The the Holy Spirit directed him to write about knowing who the enemy is. And so last week, we just kind of took time to understand that the devil, he's gonna, he desires to and wants to use anything to help someone go what we would call apostate. And so what we looked at last week is the fact that the devil wants to use people, right? There are certain men who creep in unawares that are apostate. They're uh, anti-God in their thinking. And they may not have the uh, outward motive of I'm trying to draw people away from the Lord. Uh, but really their ulterior motives is to try to get their own, ga- get their own following and, and, fall, and uh, draw people away to the Lord, away from the Lord and pay, take people's attention away from the Lord. And so Jude writes about that. And he writes, I'm trying to help you understand that there are apostates that creep in to turn you away from the Lord. And I want to encourage you, don't just roll over and die. Instead, earnestly contend for the faith. And what we decided and discovered that means last week is that we need to stand firm. Stand firm with what we believe and be willing to fight against anything that would draw our heart from God. And the one thing I mentioned last week that we will keep coming back to through the entire series <clears throat> is the fact that it's not just people that can draw our heart away from the Lord. Now, I understand in the context of the book of Jude, that is specifically what Jude is writing about, people who creep into the church that steal, the heart away, uh, steal people's heart away from the Lord. 
But we need to understand that we live, and they did as well in a day and an age, when the devil's gonna use anything. And the word apostate just means anti-God, against God, opposing God. There's a lot of things that can cause us to oppose God in our own actions, aren't there? There's a lot of things that can draw our hearts away from the Lord. And so I think while the, uh, the challenge and while the encouragement is specifically about fighting that, the, you know, people that would uh, uh, draw our hearts away from the Lord and understanding the truth of God's word to keep us in line with him, while the context of the passage is that, I think we need to remember that there's a great application in we should contend or fight against anything that wants to draw our attention away from the Lord. That can, be a, that can be a person, it could be a hobby, it could be a sport, it could be something that we enjoy. I mean, there's so many, it could be work, it could be a home, it could be a project. There's anything that could cause our hearts to turn away from the Lord and become apostate. And so what we wanna really understand is just not to, not, as Jude's writing, don't go asleep. Don't go, don't go to sleep and allow things to draw our attention away from the Lord. And Last week, we kind <clears> of, <throat> again, took it that step further to realize it's not only people that can draw us away, but things as well. And so we must be willing to stand against anyone or anything that's gonna turn our attention from the Lord. And uh, tonight, as we kind of come to the next message in our series, we find ourselves face-to-face with what, I, what I'm calling a needful warning, a needful warning. Um, if you've ever worked with construction, then, uh, then you know that there are, certain, there are certain things that are good to know. For instance, when I was in college and I was helping with a project, I was working with wiring, electrical wiring. And we were working on this project. We were uh, rewiring something in, in the gym there at the college. And as we came to a certain grouping of wires, uh, the question was asked, hey, are you sure the electrical's off? And the answer came, yes. Yes, the electrical's off. And so I was the one who was up on a ladder and working with these wires. And uh, as you probably guessed it, I found within a few seconds that the, uh, the electrical wasn't off. Um, and I was up there and these two wires touched and my hand was on them, and it jolted me, and I, I'm gonna tell you, it was a very shocking experience. And uh, I, remember, I remember the voltage going through me, and, and one of my friends had to grab and, and pull my hands away, and it, what it seemed to me, it seemed to me to be like minutes. You know, it was really only like two seconds, but they could tell, because I was like, hey, is the, uh, uh, and they pulled me away from it, and uh, later I found out what the ampage was, and we're not gonna talk about that. Uh, but I just, I, I, I remember that experience, and ever since then, ever since then, I don't have a lot of construction experience at all except for our house and projects around the church. Ever since then, anytime I'm messing with wiring or I see anybody else doing wiring, if Robert's working on wiring here at the church or, or Micah doesn't do the work on the wiring here at church, but if he was, uh, or Brian, anytime they're doing something, my, my question to him is, hey, are you sure that's off? Hey, are you sure that's off? You know why? It's because I know from experience that it's needed. It's needed to check the wire. Hey, make sure that's off. How many of you have shocked yourselves before? All right, good. How many of you have done it on purpose? Wait, don't. Don't raise your hand. That's probably not the best answer. You know what? That's a, that's a needful warning, isn't it? Hey, check the wiring. Those of you that know, I know Tom, you know construction. That's a needful warning. Hey, 
If you're gonna work on something, you check the wiring, you make sure, make sure that it's off. Well, as we come to our next portion in our study of Jude, we're gonna come to what I'm calling a needful warning. I think it's something that Jude saw take place firsthand in the early church. And so as he writes about this, and really the entire book, as he writes about this uh, idea of contending for the faith, I think it's because he's writing from firsthand experience. I think he's writing because he's seen the results of what could take place. And so tonight we're gonna, we're gonna come and discover this needful warning. And so stand with me if you would. And let's go to Jude chapter one. And let's go to verse number five. We'll read down through verse number 10. Jude writes this, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, they're set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Verse eight. Likewise also these, speaking of the apostates, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things, they corrupt themselves. As I come to this portion of the book of Jude, I find us just, again, staring at this needful warning. Because I think what Jude does for us is he lays out some truths. The very first truth that he lays out is what we're gonna call a coming reckoning. The fact that there is judgment coming for people who are apostate. Number two, he gives what I'm calling a clear response. That there's a way that you can respond and contend for truth and not be found uh, uh, in violation of God's laws and in violation of the way God would want you to. And the third thing that he brings out is what I'm calling a corrupt result. And we see that in the last phrase of verse number 10, he says this, that in those things, they corrupt themselves. Hey, these people who turn away from God, they don't even realize it, but they're actually hurting themselves. And tonight we're gonna look at this and see this needful warning from Jude and I think we'll find some great challenge. So let's pray and then get into his word. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's just take a moment and let's ask the Lord to speak to our heart tonight and commit to him the, the service tonight. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the word of God and we pray that you would help us as we get into it tonight. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our minds and our hearts through your word. And Lord, I pray as we go through this uh, passage, I wanna ask you that tonight you would help us to, um, Lord, to know that you have something specifically for us, even this week, to be able to battle the, uh, those things which try to fight and draw our attention away from you. 
And Lord, we pray that you'd bless our service, bless our time, speak to us. And again, Lord, I just humble my heart before you and, and ask you to speak through me. And Lord, use your word to help your people. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start tonight, I want us to notice, first of all, what I call a, that coming reckoning, coming reckoning. As you look at verses five through eight, Jude begins to write about these apostates who have turned their heart away from God. And, and of course, we know that he already has Peter's writings in mind, okay? Jude, uh, we read from verse number uh, 17 and 18, he writes... Uh, just look there. He says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should come mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Jude is referring to what Peter wrote, that in the last days scoffers would come. And we looked at that passage a little bit on Sunday. And so what he does is, it's interesting, he actually kind of does the same thing Peter does. If you go and you read the book of First Peter and Second Peter, Peter actually reaches into Old Testament history to prove the point that he's making. All right, so the point that Jude is trying to make through the entire book, or through the entire letter, he's trying to simply say, listen, apostates are gonna come. They're going to try to get you away from God. You need to know where you stand. You need to contend for the faith. You need to build up yourselves. You need to know that uh, uh, eternity is around the corner, but you also need to know this. Judgment is coming for those people. That's what Peter wrote, and that's what Jude writes. And in order to back that up, they both write about Old Testament, Old Testament examples. All right, well, who are the Old Testament examples that, that he is pointing to? Well, he's pointing to Old Testament people who turned apostate, again, turned away from God. All right, so who does Jude write about? First of all, we wanna see he writes about Israel. All right, so this is verse number five. Look with me. He says, I'm gonna put you in remembrance. Hey, I wanna tell you about something that you already know, you already remember this, but I want you to remember how that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. All right, so he brings into recollection, into reckoning, hey, I want to remind you about the children of Israel. These children of Israel, what did they do? Well, God delivered them from Egypt, right? I mean, remember the story, the book of Exodus, right? God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. But what took place partway into their deliverance? 10 or 12 spies went into the land, right? 10 came back with a bad report, two came back with a good report. So here you have on one hand, you have Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, and then you have the other 10 spies. Okay, so what do they do? Well, we know the story. The 10 spies, bad report, we can't take it, God's not in it, what are we doing here? Let's turn back. The three, the two spies and Moses, no, God promised us this, we can move forward. Well, on that day, God divided a line. He said the three, Moses, Caleb, and Joshua, he was going to bless, and at the time, he was going to bring them into the land. Moses was included in that until Moses sinned later on. But at the time, there were those three. On the other side, on the other end of the spectrum would be the, all the people with the 10. Okay, now question. Were they still the people of God? Did God provide for them during their years of wandering? Did God provide them in a miraculous way? So did, do you believe that God loved them? Yeah, but what did God do? He judged them. He allowed judgment to be upon their lives that they wouldn't go into the land. Oh, they weren't not saved. They weren't not God's people anymore, 
God just simply said, hey, there is judgment upon that turning away from me. That's the children of Israel. All right, so that's the first example. Hey, there's a coming reckoning. When you turn away from God, judgment's gonna come your way. First one, people of Israel. The second is the fallen angels. Now, this one's interesting. Verse number six, it says, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness uh, under the judgment of the great day. When you look at the fallen angels, I see Jude here referring to the fallen angels who rebelled against God. I see this as the angels or the demons that went with, with Satan with his rebellion. What did they do? I believe they followed the pride of Satan. Okay, you go to the book you go to the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah recounts for us the pride of Satan. Right? Satan said, I will be like the most high. I will exalt my throne. I will. And there was pride that was at the root of his, uh, the root of his sin. Well, <clears throat> we know from scripture that the Bible says that a group of angels, anybody remember the number? How many angels went after? Yeah, one third of the angels. One third of the angels then became what we know as demons. So what did they do? They fell from their habitation. They had a dwelling place, a seat in the presence of God, and they walked away from that. They fell from that. They no longer had that. It wasn't a mistake, you know, a falling mistake. It was really an intentional fall. They jumped, yeah. And so what does is, what is Jude write here? Well, he writes, look at the end of verse number six, that God hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness under the judgment of the great day. What's he saying? Hey, these ain't those demons, they have a great judgment coming. Just like Satan does, right? So, uh, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 21, Satan's gonna face that, that judgment. And so what Jude is really getting to is just, hey, when you turn from God, judgment is going, is going to be there. And I want us to understand something. I don't believe that Jude is, um, I don't believe that he's bringing these things to mind to scare people. I don't believe that. I, I, I look at the gospel, especially uh, the New Testament writings of the apostles and of those who walked with Jesus, which Jude walked with Jesus, though he was an unbeliever, he still knew Christ and had the day in and interact, day in and day out interaction with him. I know that they know that our motivation for serving God, because they wrote about it, our motivation for serving God should be love. So our motivation for staying with God should be love. But I think what Jude is trying to do is just give that clear warning that, hey, when you turn away, there is consequences. Whether you're a child of God, children of Israel, or you're someone like the rebellious angels who just walked away, you're going to face that. Who's the third group? Well, the third group is somebody that's just completely wicked, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He says, even as... Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know what? Sodom and Gomorrah, they, and, and Jude is writing this, they are served and given to us as, as an example to warn the ungodly that God does indeed judge sin. And we need to know that. And I think, uh, um, I know it's been stated before, but we need to remember that for our own country. Man, our own country right now, I remember somebody say, uh, you know, years ago, they said, well, if God doesn't judge America, then he better apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And, uh, you know, I, I understand the, maybe the sentiment behind that statement, but he's God, so we can't say that we have more sin than they did or they have more sin than we did. Sin is sin, and here's the truth that Jude's trying to get across. God judges it. God judges sin. So, you know what we like to do? We like to point fingers. We like to say they have more sin or he has more sin or she has more sin. And what Jude is simply saying is, hey, most people look to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what they look at them and say? They're sinners. Well, you know what God's gonna do? God's gonna judge them. And so here's this coming reckoning that, that Jude is trying to uh, get across. And he says, if you go and look at verse number eight, he says, likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominions, and speak evil of dignities. He's saying, hey, the apostate thinking, it's just like the children of Israel who believe not. It's just like the fallen angels who lived in pride. It's just like Sodom and Gomorrah who were steeped in sin. It's a rebellious attitude against God and God will judge it. That's what, that's what he's getting to. And so the conclusion is obvious. It's him saying the apostates, they will be judged. Now, the thought for us then that I think we could apply to ourselves going through these few verses is simply this, that we should stay on guard and ask the Lord to help us to see those things that would be false teachers or those false influencers that would creep into our life to lead us astray. Why? Because I don't wanna, even though, even though a child of God will not become apostate in the sense of being an enemy of God, right? A child of God will never, will never fall into condemnation. We're never gonna be judged for our sins. We do need to know that God will judge us on the stewardship of our life. And if I steward my life in a wrong way, turning away from the Lord, I need to know that judgment's gonna come on that. Now, again, that judgment will be at the Bema seat judgment where I'm judged based upon stewardship and rewards are taken away. So someone might say, well, you know, my judgment's not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah or my judgments won't be as bad as, as uh, you know, a sinner who's not saved. I don't know about you, but I never liked getting in trouble at all. Those of you who have siblings, you know, uh, well, you get three spankings, you get two spankings, you get one spanking. I don't want any spankings. I, I don't want that. Why? Because it's all, it's all Brother Blim's fault. It's not mine. It's, it's, okay, it's probably my fault. But you know what, you're, that's what we do sometimes is we wanna make an excuse and say, well, it's not that bad. But here's the thought, that if I, if I am doing anything or allowing anything in my life that's turning my heart from God, I need to know that God is going to correct that. That correction, that judgment is gonna come in my life. That's what, this is what Jude is getting at. Hey, you need to know that apostate, this turning away from God attitude, it will face judgment. It will face consequences. And it's just like uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continuing them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Paul gave Timothy the same uh, um, encouragement. Hey, listen, you need to take heed to yourself. Why? Because judgment comes to those who turn away. You need to take heed. It's gonna save you. It's gonna save you hurt. It's gonna save people who follow you hurt. And we need to understand that we, stay on, we need to stay on guard for these things. Now, let me give you real quick three ways we stay on guard. We'll go through them fast. We've already talked about them. Number one, letter A right there is staying in his word. Listen, I'm gonna guard myself against anything that's opposed to God by knowing what those things are. But the only way you and I can know what is opposed to God is if we're close to him, by staying in his word. 
So I can, I can uh, stay on guard by staying in his word. I stay on guard by staying on watch. By that, the word watch, it means to be on, be on guard and to be uh, um, uh, paying attention to. I need to pay attention what, allow, what influences I allow into my life, what teachers I allow into my life, what things I allow into my life. Because if any of them are drawing me away from God, judgment can come. Again, that, that consequence can come. For a Christian, we'll use that word, that it's not the judgment of sin, it's, it's a consequence. Hey, here's bad stewardship, here's the consequence you're facing. So I stay, stay in his word, stay on watch, but then also stay in his will. Now, how do I stay in his will? Well, again, I have to have that close relationship to him, and I think staying in his will is simply uh, being a person who seeks God in every decision. Now, what am I doing? I'm, I'm understanding that a coming reckoning has taken place. So judge, consequences are coming when I go contrary to the Lord. Does that make sense? And I think we need to understand and, and keep that in mind because as, Jews, as Judah's writing, he's kind of uh, encouraging these followers to understand and the, those who are reading to understand that, hey, when you turn away from God, consequences take place. Whether you're a child of God, the children of Israel, or whether you're steeped in sin like Sodom and Gomorrah, consequences happen. All right, so that's that uh, coming reckoning. I want you to look secondly then with me at what I'm calling a clear response. A clear response. We see Jude illustrating for us this clear response on really how to biblically contend for truth. All right, I think some would look at this and say, well, he's kind of changing the subject a little bit. He's changing from you need to be warned that they're out there to here's how you fight them. And, and I think that could be true. But I want you to look with me at verse number nine. He says, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. He, Michael, durst not bring, uh, any, or bring against him, Satan, a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now, in this passage, we have no information other than what is written in verse number nine. We have no information in the word of God about the conflict between Satan and Michael over the body of Moses. Okay, we know from scripture that when Moses died, the Lord buried him and no one knew where, that's, where that burial place was located. Located That's in Deuteronomy 34 verses five and six. No one knew where that would be. God kept that information to himself, but it would seem that Satan knew where it was. So the Lord and Satan, the only two that knew who, or what, who, who knew where it was. So we don't know what took place, but we do know that there was an argument over it. Moses, or over it with, uh, between Michael, the archangel, and Satan. They argued over it. Okay, so in this passage, you have God's archangel, uh, Michael, and what's he doing? He's contending for the truth. Okay, so look at the verse. It says, Michael the archangel when contending with the devil. I don't believe that Michael the archangel was contending with the devil on anything but the truth, right? That's what he was doing. He was there contending. And so here you have God's archangel with all authority from God. But when he contended for the truth, he simply gave his enemy over to the Lord to deal with. That's interesting to me. Okay, so here you have the archangel fighting the devil, who has more authority? The archangel does. Michael does. Now, is the devil powerful? Yes, but it's the archangel we're talking about. This is someone backed by God. And yet, he doesn't bring against him a railing accusation. The phrase is, 
He doesn't, he doesn't accuse the devil of anything. Now that's very interesting to me because he would have every right. Rob, that's buzzing. I have no idea what that is. He would have every, every right to accuse the devil, wouldn't he? I mean, think about it. He would have absolutely every right to accuse the devil of every sin. He could stand there and on the ground of God's authority, he could say, here's what the sin is, here's what you are, here's what this is. He could just go down the line. He'd say all those things. But he doesn't. He doesn't lay out a railing accusation. Instead, instead, what did he do? He just says, hey, the Lord's gonna rebuke you. Hey, the Lord's gonna deal with you. Didn't argue with him. He just said, Lord's gonna deal with you. He knew the evils that Satan had committed and yet he made the decision not to accuse him. He didn't call him out. He left Satan to the Lord. But the Bible tells us that he was still contending. So he contended for the truth and I want you to catch this tonight. He contended for the truth without attacking. Now the point is this. The point is that Michael did not rebuke Satan but instead left it to the Lord. Okay, so for us, what can we glean from this? What, what could we take away? And I have three thoughts for us tonight. They're already on your handout. You can read ahead if you want or just listen. But I think there's three ways that we can kind of look at verse number nine and learn from it. Number one, or letter A right there, is to understand that it's a dangerous thing for God's people to think that they can confront Satan directly because he is much stronger than we are. Okay, I've heard people say things like this. Yeah, I hope the devil just brings it on. I've heard people say something like, you know, I hope he comes after me. I'll show him. I can't wait for the devil to tempt me with that. I'll take him. Now, we, we, we look at that and we, just, we laugh at that and things like things of like this, but sometimes our, we may not verbally say it, but sometimes our actions say, I've got this and I can, I can defeat Satan on my own. Okay, well, here's a lesson. If the archangel wasn't gonna confront Satan, why should we try in our own power? Okay, so do you know what we can quickly learn from it? We need God's strength to stand against the devil. That means I need to be close to him. If I'm gonna stand against anything that's apostate, anything that's contrary to the Lord, I go back to those three thoughts. I need to stay in his word, stay on watch, and stay in his will. How do I do that? By my relationship with Christ. So it's a dangerous thing for God's people to think they can confront Satan directly because he is much stronger than we are. All right, so what's the next thing we can learn? I think that a great, great approach then is, well, looking at, at what, Jude, what uh, uh, Michael did what Michael did, this is a great, a great approach when dealing with any confrontation, conflict, or times when contending for truth. Here's the lesson I think we can learn. When you have issues with things or with people, even at times when you have every right to attack someone, don't. Oftentimes we turn issues, and, and, and I'll explain this and what I mean by it. We turn issues into a person versus person battle. Now, <clears throat> I'm gonna tell you what, what I'm about to give you for the next 
few, few seconds, few minutes, what I'm about to give you, it, it really, it goes along with this thought of standing which, against that which is apostate. But I really wanna talk about just the idea of arguing and accusations. Because I think in Michael's approach with the archangel, in, in Michael's approach with the devil, we can learn something about what it means to truly contend for the truth in a spiritual way. We often do the opposite of what Michael did and we go on the offensive and we attack people even when we have no right. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I think sometimes we say things about people and against people and accuse people and we call it contending for the truth. Often we can disagree with someone and then when we disagree with them, we attack them and in order to, or we attack them in order to defend ourselves against a disagreement. So pastor, what do you mean? In the home, let's look at a married couple. Oftentimes a married couple, the struggle is over a financial decision. But instead of the struggle being the problem, I make my spouse out to be the enemy. And so we almost are, it's like, I'm against you now, you're the enemy, when really that's not the enemy. The enemy is this decision at hand. The enemy is the situation, not the person. And I think what we can learn from Michael right here is just the simple fact that when we're contending or when we're in any disagreement, it's wise, don't throw out an accusation. Now again, I understand that in the context, he's talking about apostasy and there's so much there that we could apply straight on that. But I, I like to take it just a little bit step further to maybe apply something for us day in and day out in understanding that when we're in a uh, disagreement with somebody, you don't have to make it a disagreement that's, that's person versus person. Does that make sense? Sometimes we make it about us and them rather than understanding the devil would love nothing more than to ruin a friendship, a marriage, a relationship, whatever, because he would love us to attack each other. I'll give you an illustration. Last week I mentioned how we've seen some situations in, in our own church where, where we had to stand and where I as the pastor had to stand and, and uh, Mike, if I brought the name up, Mike would know the situation because as men, I, I called Mike in, hey, we've got to stand against this situation and this, this circumstance, here's what's going on and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a gossip thing, it was, hey, we have a person who's trying to turn the, God's people's hearts away from the Lord, how are we gonna deal with it? And I told you a little bit about the situation last week, but I remember uh, some advice that was given to me at that time. And the advice was this. It was through your situation, be sure to speak in such a way as to where the individuals could never say with a clear conscience that you mistreated them or misspoke to them. Now, that's a lengthy like thought, but simply what it is, is if I'm gonna have a disagreement with somebody, I want me to be able to pillow my head knowing I have an absolute clear conscience between me and God that I didn't say anything wrong. And I want them to be at the place where they could never with a clear conscience say they misspoke about me or mistreated me. Does that make sense? And I remember in those situations, I think back, those were, that was some good advice. And Mike and I had that from somebody else. We had that advice from an outside pastor. Hey, when you look back at the situation in 10 years, that person should be able to look back and say, Pastor Dennis or Brother Mike never spoke about me 
never mistreated me. Oh, they're gonna say it, but not with a clear conscience. Not with a clear conscience, because they'll know deep down that's, that's false. You say, what does all this have to do? It's just simply the thought of, if I'm gonna be engaged in contending for the truth, and do it without an accusation. Do it without making enemies. So the third thought thing that we can learn from this is understanding that the Lord is keeping the scorecard so you don't have to. God's keeping the scorecard so you don't have to. Michael's response to Satan was the Lord rebuke thee. Hey, this is in God's hands. Can I say that if you ever face a conflict, confrontation, or a moment of contending, be sure to just give it to the Lord. God, this is in your hands. Now, in in the passage, I believe that they could, the reader could learn directly from what Judah's writing of, hey, you have contentious enemies among you within the church. Give them to the Lord, let God deal with it. But I think in your life, that's a great lesson that we can learn about any confrontation is God's keeping the score, so I don't have to. So the clear response that's given is, hey, when an opportunity comes up to contend for truth, do it in a biblical manner. And what's the biblical manner? Don't raise an accusation. Don't make an enemy. Give it to the Lord and let God deal with it. All right, third thought tonight, and we're done, is we see a corrupt result. I see this in verse number 10 where Jude writes, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but uh, what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. In verse number 10, Jude informs us that these apostates, they're ignorant people. They don't even know what they're talking about. And then he echoes Peter's description of them by calling them brute beasts. He's saying, hey, they're living just like animals. Animals live by natural instinct. And these apostates, they live by natural instinct. They're just, you know what he's saying? They're just given over to the flesh. They're just allowing the flesh to govern them and their decisions. And when men rebel against God, they sink into being led by the flesh. That is true, listen, that is true of someone who is not saved and true of someone who is, who is saved. When we turn our hearts from God, we will lean toward being driven by the flesh. And the consequences of their rebellion, Jude summarizes it by saying they corrupt themselves. In those things, they corrupt themselves. Hey, listen, they're just messing up their own lives being led by the flesh. They defile themselves, they destroy themselves, and yet they have no idea, they have no idea that they are promoting themselves. They don't know, they don't know that it's all done in pride and in the flesh. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says it this way, because sentence against evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You know what that means? Since judgment isn't slapping in the face right after they make the decision, they just keep going down the same road. And so Jude is writing, hey, the way of rebellion, it's the way of ruin. It's just, you lead to corruption. It leads to that the result is a ruined life. The result is hurt and harm done to you and done to your family. And how that's so true, and I can tell you right now, I mean, how many Christians I can think of who've walked down this road. People who follow after some apostate thinking, they hurt themselves 
and they hurt their family. Today, as I was finalizing these notes, I was just trying to think of on this thought of some people that I know who have gone down this road, who have allowed a person or a thing to turn their attention from God. I thought of some who've allowed friendships to turn into ungodly relationships and it destroyed a family, drew them away from God. I can think of some who use and allow social media to teach them and enlighten them of a path that only, has only drawn them away from church, from the Bible, and from their relationship with God. I can think right now of a family with uh, just authority issues in the whole family. And what they've allowed is they've allowed their own pride to set in in their family and they've determined that no church is good for them. So someone who's simply walked away from church only to a few years later lose their children. And their own kids just walk away from the family, walk away from God completely. All because of pride, something that drew them away. I can think right now of people who have just simply allowed what you and I would look to as minuscule things to be a reason to not be in church, not be in prayer, not be in the word of God, and they've allowed those minuscule things to deter their heart, and it's caused them years of pain and hurt. I can think right now of people who've allowed bitterness to become that apostate item that's used to turn their heart from God. And they've become bitter. They've become hurt. Maybe by another believer in a church or uh, by a pastor or by a teacher or by somebody who did something they didn't like. And, and in some of the cases, it was, it was something that was wrong. But they've never learned about forgiveness. And so they've allowed bitterness. And you know what? Hebrews says that that bitterness springs up and many are defiled. That's what Jude is writing about. They corrupt themselves. That apostate spirit turning away from God, it doesn't just affect you and it affects so many people around you, but at the root of it, it, it's affecting you and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. And all those situations and so many more, I'm just simply pointing to the fact that when we step away from the Lord, when we allow anything to draw us away from him, it only leads to hurt for us and for those closest to us. So here you have Jude, he's writing to these early believers and he's trying to encourage them. He's, he's taking time, I think, to give them this needful warning. The needful warning is this, that when you turn from God in any manner, you're a child of God like Israel that turns away, you're in a fallen angel that turns away. You're an absolute heretic that turns away. When that happens, it's gonna result in consequences, but one of the most tragic is it just corrupts you. It just hurts you. And the fact is, God's judgment is coming regardless of who you are. So instead, we should learn from Michael. Stand without accusation, giving things over to the Lord, and remember that following the flesh always results in a corrupt, it always ends in a corrupt result. And so what's the challenge for us tonight? The challenge for us tonight is I need to be on guard against anything 
that will turn my heart in an apostate direction. And anything, anything that is taking your heart away from God, anything that's taking your heart away from God, turn from it. Don't allow it. Don't allow it in your life. Don't allow it entrance into your life. Ask God to help you stand guard against it. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.